why just the heart of God is so evident in the church. The power of the Holy Spirit, I think, is so clearly seen in the consecrated lives of, of you all. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 19. Judges 19 through chapters 21 is a... Judy, could you turn the pulpit mic off, please? Thank you. Thank you, Judy. So Judges 19 through 21 is a second case study about what is going on in Israel in the time of the judges. Of course, we know that they are steeped in idolatry. They are looking for and searching and chasing after created things that they think will bring them some kind of peace and joy and fulfillment. But rather, what it does is it unravels society to the point of absolute mass chaos and destruction, where we will find out in this horrifying three chapters that man left to himself, beginning with immorality, even beginning with sexual immorality, it leads to a devaluing of life to the point where they are willing to, listen, almost exterminate one of the 12 tribes of Israel. If they succeeded in exterminating the tribe of Benjamin, can you imagine the ramifications of that? Saul would not have been selected as a king. Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would never be born. There would be no Apostle Paul. In the millennial kingdom, where God made a promise that Benjamin will exist and have property, God would be a liar. I mean, God has got to step in and rescue these people before they self-destruct, before they destroy himself. Because our God is faithful to his promises, he has no choice but to intervene. And although we don't see his name mentioned much in these chapters, he does intervene. The story of Judges chapter 19 through 21 involves another Levite. We saw a Levite this morning in chapters 17 and 18. Remember, it was the Levite that Micah hired And then ultimately the tribe of Dan took possession of. And it happened to be the grandson of Moses, of all people. So this here is another another Levite. Uh, He has a wife, he's married, but he also has a concubine. He has another woman on the side who is simply just an object of um, idolatry for his physical pleasures. Here's what God's word says. As we begin now, we're going to look at this Levite, this other Levite, I'm going to walk through the text and we'll kind of look at it and I'll, I'll give some insight, hopefully, and some application to the text. We're going to begin with the Levite, chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. Again, that phrase is critical because if there was a godly king on the throne, he would have put a stop to this. He would not have allowed this. Uh, unfortunately, many of the kings of Israel and of Judah were so immoral and ungodly themselves, they just let it happen. But a true godly king would not have permitted this. But in these days when there was no king, there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but his concubine played the harlot against him. So here's a man who has a wife, but he has a lover on the side, and the lover prostitutes herself with another man. I mean, do you see the mess already? There's, There's absolutely no regard for... God's proper order in relationships, one man with one woman for life. You don't, that's not even a thought here. Uh, this is Israel, by the way. They are, so, they are so paganized and canonized that even the Levites, 
the tribe that should be really centered on spiritual things is living like the rest of the world. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. Again, Bethlehem is now mentioned. But, his verse 2, his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem and Judah and was there four whole months. So now we get another piece of information. A man has a, a wife, but he's not faithful to his wife. He's got a lover on the side. She went off to prostitute herself with another man, and she just leaves him and goes back home to her dad. And for four months, the Levite has no concern. But after four months, he begins to think, hey, I missed that physical pleasure. That's an idol of mine. Oh, and I missed the status symbol of having a, a wife and a cute girl on my other arm, you know? So, so whatever he's thinking after four months, he, he wants to act. So verse 3, Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house. So we're at the father-in-law's place. And when the father of the young man saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. What I want to title my first point is... um, Excessive hospitality. This whole story revolves around hospitality. This is just excessive hospitality. So you've got the father-in-law. The man comes to, to get his, uh, his girlfriend back. And the father-in-law says, you know, he says husband, but really it's a concubine. It's not an official wife relationship. The father-in-law is like, hey, you need to come into my house. I want to take care of you. Why? Why? And he's going to push the hospitality to a great limit. Do you want to know why? The punishment in this day, if a woman, even a concubine, left her husband or master, was death. It was just death. So now the father's thinking, oh, my daughter's home. I'm so glad for that. But now this man has the right to put my daughter to death. I'm just going to like keep him happy. I'm going to make him so happy he's not going to want to kill my daughter. So here's what, look at the excessive hospitality, verse 5. Then it came to pass on the fourth day, they've been, there, they've been at father-in-law's house for four days, that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and then afterward go your way. Well, so verse 6, they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Oh, please be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him. So he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Oh, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine, this, this girlfriend, and his servant... His father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Oh, look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here, that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may get home. All right, again, the father-in-law does not want the man to leave until he knows for sure his daughter is not going to be punished to death, right? Or tortured or something like that. I mean, that's like what any dad would do. But it is excessive hospitality. Verse 10. Now, remember, we're on the... Five days have passed. However, verse 10, the man was not willing to spend that night. So he rose and departed and came opposite, opposite Jebus, which is Jerusalem. 
With him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. So he rescues the girl. He takes the girl out of, his, uh, out of her father's home, has two saddled donkeys, and now they're moving north. They're leaving Bethlehem, and they're coming into Jerusalem like four miles away. And it's dark. It's, get, it's getting dark. And so you've got to find a place to stay. You don't want to be out on the road. There's, there's wild animals and there's robbers. So you, you, you don't want to be out on the road at this time of night. So Jerusalem, well, isn't Jerusalem like a main Jew, Jew, uh, Jewish city? Absolutely. But look at what it says. Verse 11. They were near Jebus, and the day was, was far spent. And the servant said to his master, this is the Levite, Come, please, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. All right. Are you with me? This Levite who has a concubine and he's trying to get back home, he does not want to stay in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is controlled by the Jebusites at the time. David hasn't conquered it yet. It is not a Jewish city. It is a pagan Canaanite city. And he's thinking, it is too dangerous to live with the Canaanites. I would rather spend the night with my Jewish people. So he goes on to Gibeah. My second point, if the first point was excessive hospitality, my second point, deficient hospitality. You're going to find some deficient hospitality in Gibeah. Let's continue on in the text. Verse 12. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go into Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. Now the, the plot begins to thicken. They turned aside there to go into lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. That's deficient hospitality. Here you have strangers, visitors, it's dark. He's sitting in the open square, houses and businesses all around, and not one person will say, please come into my house and have a bite to eat and a place to sleep. Wait a minute. This is a Jewish, this is an Israelite town with no hospitality. Something is going on. So let's continue. Verse 16, just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was sta- this guy isn't even from Gibeah. He was staying in Gibeah. I call my third point protective hospitality. So you've got excessive hospitality, then you find defe- uh, deficient hospitality, and now protective hospitality. This man from Ephraim, he says he was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. He's not even from Benjamin. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, hey, where are you going and where do you come from? So he said to him, verse 18, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I'm going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into his house. Although we have straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. Hey, in other words, this man is in Gibeah and he has all the resources. He's got plenty of food and drink for himself. He's got stuff for the animals. He doesn't need, like in hospitality, he doesn't need any favors. He just needs a place to sleep. That's it. Verse 20, the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house, gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. All right. So the, the Levite and his girlfriend 
and his servants are in the man's house, this old man's house, having dinner. The donkeys and all of that, all the animals are eating, and it seems like things are nice. The fire is going to die down. Everybody's going to go to sleep, wake up the next day. But that is not what's going to happen. He is protected, but not for long. Let's continue on. I call this next hospitality, my fourth hospitality, perverted hospitality. Here's why. Verse 22. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, hey, not the whole city, but certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, hey, bring out the man who came in your house, that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, now this is where it gets awful. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. So you've got these homosexual men of Gibeah pounding on the door, demanding the Levite that they take the Levite, and, and abuse him physically, but the old man gives his daughter, his virgin daughter, and the Levite's girlfriend, the concubine, for these wicked, perverted men with sexual lusts. Sounds a lot like what? Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, it, and it's supposed to. If you look at the language of this text and the language in the book of Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, you will find there is so, so many patterns in language. It was intended for us to realize, listen, everybody, God's chosen people at this time are as wicked, if not more, than Sodom and Gomorrah. How could God's people go from serving the one true God, living out the life of God in them, to such depraved, perverted behavior? We'll talk about that at the end. Let's continue on. Verse 24, look, here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out. Let me bring them out now. Humble them. Listen to this. Can you believe it? He says this, and do with them as you please. But to this man, do no such a vile thing. To do, do not such a vile thing. He actually says, take my virgin daughter and do whatever you want with her. And take the concubine and do whatever you want with her. But don't, don't protect this man. Really? Um, not that you should throw the man out there either. There's got to be other options. We're going to talk about that. Listen, this is horrendous. Verse 25. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. So the virgin daughter is safe, but the concubine, this girl, was put outside and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. This poor woman. What a night of horror. Can you imagine God's people acting like this? The story gets worse. Verse 26. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. When her master arose in the morning, wait a minute, the master arose in the morning? Where was he? 
He was sleeping. Sure, he shouldn't have a girlfriend. He should be committed to his wife. But he throws her to these wild, perverted men, and he goes to sleep. He doesn't go look for her. He doesn't try to help. See, the sin is bad to start with, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. But this is what sin does. You're not faithful here. Your unfaithfulness will spread here and here and here. And you will ruin and destroy relationships. Uh, Oh, boy. This man's actions, the Levite, who is not faithful in his marriage and has a lover, this man probably thought it's no big deal. Right? Happens all the time. But because of this man's behavior, now we've got a situation where his concubine has been ravaged all night, and it's going to spread to the tribe of Benjamin, and it's going to spread to the whole nation, where the entire nation is going to be involved because of one man's behavior. And do you know the number of people that will end up dying needlessly because this man has a a sexual addiction? He's got a problem. Let's continue on. Verse 27, When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. He's thinking, I don't care about her. She was just an object. And I don't know where she went. Who cares where she went? And, he's, and he's, he's ready to go home. But he can't. Because the dead woman is right clutching the threshold. Look at his behavior. He went out to go his way. There was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. She's probably like scratching at the door. Let me in. And nobody hears. Nobody's waiting. Nobody's watching for her. There was an absolute disregard for the value of life. Look at verse 28. And he said to her, Get up and let us be going. What? How could this Levite, who is supposed to be a man of God, he is supposed to know the Bible, know the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He is supposed to know the God of Israel and have the God of Israel's heart. He sees the dead woman. He doesn't know she's dead yet. Hey, get up. We got to get going. Mercy, compassion, no, 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 not there at all. But there was no answer. Why? She's dead. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. He goes back home to the mountains of Ephraim. It gets, it gets worse. Can you believe it? It gets worse. Verse 29. When he entered his house... He took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, 
No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. People. This man does not love this woman. He's using her as an object. He doesn't love her. It's evident in the text he doesn't love her. And then he cuts her body up and delivers it, so the whole nation gets outraged. But he's not doing it because he really cares about the woman. She's his property, and he lost some property, and he's not happy about losing property. Do do you see? There's no heart here for people at all. And then even Israel is so blinded, they don't know what to do. Okay, there's three problems going on here. Let me tell you the first one. The first problem that we find in the text is sexual immorality. This man, the Levite, should have been faithful to his wife. No, no one, no one can ever enter into a physical relationship with someone else, ever, ever, without it changing you. Right? You can't. There's no way to, do, to have the, the most intimate, deepest act between a man and a woman and have that leave you unchanged. Many people drift... So, young people, I don't know, play the field or are loose, or I don't know what the even terminology is. I have no clue. But whatever, they're, they're free with their bodies. And, they, and every time they do that, they've given part of their emotions and, and life to that individual. They, whether they know it or not, they have. And then they begin to... Ha- then they, can't, they can never have a relationship where they are committed to one individual because they can't trust that one individual because they know that every time they've done it, they've given a part of themselves to that person. Do you see what I'm saying? When, when we take what God has given us as the most precious thing in marriage and we think nothing of it or think little of it, it has major consequences. So people drift in and out of relationships. They're unable to trust others, and they cannot give a full commitment in marriage. They live with the individual until they're pleased with that one, and then they move on to the next. And then after that one, they move on to the next, and they play this game. And then if they do get married, then they're still playing that game as a married person. There's always a price to pay. And our society is paying a huge price because we exalt sexual immorality. Our nation does. Our country does. And we, as a church, tolerate it. You know what homosexuality is? It is a rejection and a reversal of God's purposes for marriage, for, for, for that physical relationship. And because it can never satisfy like God intended a man and a husband and a wife to satisfy, then the homosexual relationship brings about frustration. Because no matter what the physical pleasure is, it is never what God intended originally in in one husband with one wife for life. And as a result, there's a frustration in these men of Gibeah that because they are so frustrated and that frustration is pent up because even their wild behavior sexually is not able to satisfy that they turn violent and this concubine ends up dying. They explode into violence. That is what sexual immorality always leads to. Hollywood, the filth coming out of Hollywood, 
is not only destroying relationships and destroying the family, but it is increasing violence at an accelerated rate in our society. Why? Because frustrated people that are frustrated with this aspect of their life will release that frustration somehow, and it's going to end up being violence. There's a second theme running through this chapter. And again, it's, it's, as I said, violence, personal violence. When there's no morals, then there's no respect for life. Life is devalued. So, hey, the concubine's laying dead on your doorstep with her fingers tied into the threshold. Get up, woman. We got to go. I got things to do today. Devalue life. Has our society absolutely done that, huh? Boy, we don't hardly blink. Life has no meaning anymore. There's no value to life in, the, in, the, in our pagan culture. And if that's the way the culture is, don't you think the church has drifted to that to some degree? Absolutely. Here are some thoughts about the, the Levite. The Levite should have been holy unto the Lord. Instead, he was swept up with the pagan culture. Only the pagans take concubines. God's people shouldn't. Ever. Ever, ever. He simply has abandoned his roots in the God of Israel and been swept up with the culture. But can I ask you a question? I, I know we're, we're not doing that. Like, we're not doing that. But, but it happens, and it happens, and it could happen. But even if it's not to that severity in our life, is there any area of our life where we are simply compromising God's word to accommodate a fleshly lust which wars against our soul? Peter says, abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against our soul. But the world tries to attract even us believers to live like them and to think like them and to act like them. And many, many, many believers who are not grounded in the word are acting and talking just like the world. You cannot even tell the difference. You could look at their bank accounts. You could look at their entertainment activities. You could look at their recreation and their hobbies, and they would, be, they would be identical to the unsaved lost world. You look at this Levite. He, he is, although he's different in genealogy, he's no different from the unsaved world. Secondly, this concubine, it wasn't an easy relationship. She leaves the Levite and plays the harlot. Um... Relationships are hard enough when we are living purely. When, when they get messed up, it is even harder and worse. So be on guard. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Take heed when you stand, lest you fall. The time to be taking heed is when we're doing right and we're living for God. Because the moment we get arrogant and we think, hmm, this is easy, we fall and we're swept away in this tide of sin. This is not a loving relationship between the Levite and the concubine. Both the father-in-law and the Levite treat women as property. Don't they? In this whole argument of, stay another day, please. Have some, have some bread. Stay another day. Stay another day. The woman is not mentioned. It's the dad and the boyfriend really debating about what do we do with this girl. She's, she doesn't even get a say. She's not even considered. She's treated as property. We should never, never treat another race 
or a gender as property, ever. God has created man and woman equal in his sight. And although in a marriage relationship there's different functions, the man is to lead with love and grace like the Lord Jesus, and the woman is to follow helping and supporting like the church. That is true, but man and woman are equal. You know, it's not like, me, man, you, woman, you stay in your place. I mean, my wife is not a piece of property. She is a daughter of the heavenly king, and I am not going to mess with the daughter of my heavenly king. I'm going to treat her with reverence and respect. She belongs to my king, my, my father. Um, not so in this case. Gibeah. Let's talk about Gibeah. This is not a wilderness town. And it's not a Canaanite city. It is a Jewish, Israelite city. And this is early on in the days of the judges. This is like around the days of Ehud and Gideon and Bar- or, uh, Barak and Deborah. And that is how bad it's at the beginning of the time of the judges. What is it like when Samson's on earth? 300 years later. You know, as morality goes, once immorality starts... The next generation takes it another step further, and the next generation takes it even further. Hey, do you realize, like, I was, I'm in the 60s and 70s, you know, born in 67. Um, I, I think, I, well, I, I'm still naive, and I grew up naive, but um, you went through all that whole culture, and then I think of what's going on right now with social media and sexting and pornography available and oh, on and on and on. What is going to happen when this next generation has kids? And they don't have any morals because they don't even know our God. Do you know what this world is going to be like? It is going to be wicked to the nth degree. Gibeah has become like Sodom and Gomorrah. They are acting like pagans. And the Levite, he wants vengeance because he lost property. He certainly has no love for this particular woman. I'm not going to go on. I really wanted to do chapter 20 and 21 tonight, but there's no way, no way. I just think this is way too important. So let me give you what I think is maybe the biggest deal, and then I'm going to give you like three or four other applications. Listen, everybody. Here's, let me just make sure I say it exactly right. Um, listen. It is e- do I have everybody's attention? It is easy. It is easy to think that your ordinary life has no impact or influence. As you go to the grocery store, you go to the mall, no, um, you go somewhere, a uh, gas station, you go to work, you go to school, you think your life in the midst of a public school or your life at a job or your life in the community is just ordinary and, no, and, and nobody pays attention and you, you really, you're not a mover or shaker. That is not true. This one Levite with a wife and a concubine, sets aflame Gibeah, sets, Gibeah sets, because of that, Gibeah sets aflame the whole tribe of Benjamin, and they make one big error after another. And then all of Israel gets involved until they are killing and killing and killing until the Benjamites are almost not existent. And then when they finally let go, when they finally say, okay, we're done, in order to go back to where God wanted them, they have to go and murder, they murder a whole town, every man, every child, and every woman who is not a virgin. 
Just out of cold blood. They are killing their own people. It's a civil war. And then after that is done, there's still not enough women for the Benjamites because all the women are dead. So they have to go to a feast. They go to a holiday party of the Lord. They hide in the woods and they say, when the party gets going and they're praising, we're going to sneak in there and we're going to kidnap women. They are reduced to murdering in cold blood and kidnapping women to survive. Because of one man and his behavior. So I'm going to tell you this. It is easy to imagine that your ordinary life has no influence and can count for nothing. That is not so. Everyone in this room influences others for good or for evil. What you believe and how you behave matters. It does matter. If you hold to biblical convictions, it matters. It restrains evil in this world. You are putting, you are putting evil at bay when you live a righteous life according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. What you believe matters. How you behave matters. Your attitude matters. Yes, your attitude even matters. Your actions matter. Your resources and use of them matters. Every single day this week, you will make an impact for good or for evil. It is just the truth. If one man can do this in the nation Israel, listen to this. Imagine this group right here, gathered on a Sunday night, and we commit ourselves and consecrate ourselves to the gospel and to, the, and to the glory of God's word. And we say, what God says, we will do. If he says for me to be sober-minded, I am going to be sober-minded. If he tells me to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against my soul, I am not going to entertain those. I'm not going to bring them into my life and entertain them and meditate on them. When God says that my relationships should be pure, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, then husbands, you better love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because you are influencing your neighbors and you don't even know it. And if you mistreat your wife and if you treat her harshly, the neighbors will catch it. But if you act in a certain way with grace and love, the same thing wives to husbands, parents to children. We are, we are literally, through the Holy Spirit living in us, restraining evil in this world. And when the rapture takes place and all of the believers are taken off the earth and there's no believers to start with and there's no Holy Spirit to start with, the Bible says wickedness and evil will rule the day. And do you know how wicked that's going to be? Wow. We have not even seen anything since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden that will be like the tribulation time. But praise God, the Holy Spirit will be back and people will be saved and they will, will actually tide the flow of evil in that tribulation time just by a little bit. So I want you to know, your life matters. Your ordinary life counts in God's eyes. My second quick point the reason God bears with his people is not because of their merit. Israel has no merit. We have no merit. We may look nice. 
We may put on the clothes and tie the tie, and we may sing the songs and open the Bible, but we, in our natural state, are just like Israel. We do not gain God's favor by our merit. God, the only reason he rescues us is because of his grace and love. And then we receive that by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Husbands, I wrote it, I wrote it twice. I don't know why, but I wrote it twice. I'm going to say it twice. Husbands, love your wives. Next point, application. Resist the lure of the culture and her ways. They will lead to destruction. I have thought of this verse many times, but you know Matthew 7, the teaching of Jesus? He said, wide is the road, broad is the way leading to destruction, and many they are who find it. It's a broad broad road, paved, easy traveling, and it is delightful on both sides, but the end of it is destruction. But then Jesus says, narrow is the way, and difficult it is, and few they are who find it. But it leads to everlasting life. Right? Take the narrow way. Take the narrow way. You're not going to get the Fancy pleasures of the world on the, on, the, on the narrow way, but you will get the glory at the end of Jesus. But you know what we do in the modern age? Man, it's so much more convenient and glorious to take the broad road. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Um, what do we call adultery? They're just having an affair. Man, an affair has a nice ring to it. Oh, they're just having an affair, right? Um, homosexuality? Ultimate lifestyle. Uh, abortion? No, it's fetal tissue for research. <laughs> really? Uh, talk to my high school students at my, right, Hunter? Ask my real time Bible study. Um, they know abortion, the baby inside is not just a fetal tissue that can be used for a research lab. It is a baby, of, it, has, it is life created by God. Man, it is, the world has deceived us. Oh, theft? Theft is just uh, one of the perks of working here. <laughs> a little here, a little there. Oh, that's just a perk of working for this company. I get to take this and you take this and nobody, you know, right. We can excuse anything like that. And then my last point, because it's time, and then we'll pick this up next week, um, probably next Sunday night. Do what is right in God's eyes, not yours. The theme of Judges is, and there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Don't do that. There is a king. He is Jesus. And we are to do that which is right in God's eyes. And then we pursue that wholeheartedly. And can you imagine what that looks like? Beautiful. It is beautiful. Holiness is a great thing. It is an attractive thing to a dead and decaying world. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, remember that Jesus died for all of our sins. Every single sin of yours has been paid for by someone else, Jesus Christ. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And if you placed your faith in him alone, recognizing he is the only Savior, the only God, he is the only way, the Bible says you are given everlasting life and you are made a new creature. That is what we need. That's what this world desperately needs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. It is, uh, wow, it is dark and difficult and... It shows us clearly, left to our own living and according to our own eyes, where that would lead us. 
Sin brings nothing but destruction and misery. No one has ever profited from sin and found a blessing. They have not. They cannot. Sin promises everything but delivers nothing but separation, misery, destruction, discouragement, despair. Thank you, Father, that we have Christ, our Savior. I'm so thankful, Father, that there is a King who loves us, who came to this earth, paid for our sin, rescued us from ourselves, and lives forevermore. And we're thankful that by grace through faith alone, not on our merit, we have none. It is only by grace through faith alone that we have eternal life. What an incredible gift that you've given to us. And may this be appreciated and lived out in our lives this week. And may we reach those who are trapped by idolatry. They are persuaded by the culture of the world. They are in the middle of it. I pray that we would have the wisdom and the boldness to share with them the truth of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. So thank you, Father, for our time and the gathering of the believers tonight, the church. Wow, this is so precious. The singing, the praising, the prayers, the text of Scripture. You are so good. Thank you that we do not to leave tonight discouraged because we have a Savior who, is vict- who has victory over all of these things. And for the man or woman trusting Christ, it is a glorious thing. It is a great thing. And although we may hear and read of this, um, we know we have a Savior. So thank you, Father, for giving us that hope and um, that assurance. Please continue to use your word and the Spirit in our life this week. May we reach many people with Jesus Christ, the great news of our Savior Jesus. Amen.